And so let us hear God's word. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. The grass withers, the fire fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, as we begin here today, I want you to think of a time maybe where you have been lost, wandering around, not sure which way to go. Now, with GPS on our phones, this isn't quite as common as it was even just 10 years ago. <laughs> but still, uh, maybe you think back to a time in the past, or maybe you don't have cell service. Um, and now, around here, of course, this isn't so much done in the desert, but it certainly can happen in the woods or something to that effect. Think also, though, of a spiritual wandering, a spiritual bondage. We all, of course, have been there. We can also think of figurative ways that we have wandered around or we are in bondage to something. Now, with this in mind, we come here now to Psalm 107 and this portion of it. Last time we started seeking to understand the overall message of Book 5 and how Psalm 107 fits into it and how it is strategically placed after Psalm 106 and how they are tied together as God answers the prayers of his people. And <clears throat> Yahweh, then, is worthy of our praise and our thanksgiving because, here initially, he brought Israel back from exile, from Babylon especially, but even from all kinds of directions. Now, the initial fulfillment, obviously, is where we start, but we expand on that, and we see God fulfilling these words to us, we as Gentiles, even as we just read in Galatians 3, okay, God brings us to himself, gathers us so that we might have the blessings of Abraham. And we see it fulfilled in this way. But we also eagerly anticipate the day when Jesus returns and we will be summoned and we will be gathered to the new heavens and the new earth where we will praise and give thanks to our God forever, without hindrance anymore. And so we eagerly wait for that. Now, as we started last time here with Psalm 107, you might say it was a bit more conceptual to some degree. Well, now you might say we dive into more specifics and more everyday scenarios here in these next sections. If you look at your handout here on Psalm 107, 
And you look at the back page, I'll call your attention again to the outline as I did last week. And <clears throat> verses 1 to 3 lay the foundation, but now the next four sections give four different ways that God gathered his people. The initial point is, right, connected with the exile and bringing Israel back, but it's worded somewhat broadly so that we can apply it in broader ways. And so verses 4 to 9 then deal with those who are wandering, verses 10 to 16, those in prison, verses 17 to 22, those who are sick, and then verses 23 to 32, those who are lost at sea and the storms and so forth that come. And then you have the rest of the psalm. But for these four sections now, uh, we have basically a more specific way that God has gathered his people. And so you might say redemption from the desert, redemption from prison, redemption from sickness, and redemption from the sea. Now, in each of these four sections, there are five parts. The first part begins with the problem. The second part, the people cry out to God. That's the cry refrain. The third part, God does help them. The fourth part, we are called to praise. And then fifthly, it does vary a little bit, but at least for the two we'll look at here today, it reiterates why we are to praise God. And so this is our pattern here for these four sections. So let's start then. Verse 4. They wandered in the wilderness, in the waste of the way, a city of a dwelling place they did not find. All right, so here's the problem, the first problem. And note the alliteration that we could do even here in the English. And notice that the second line, the direct object's placed in the front, emphasizing all the point there. The point is pretty straightforward, isn't it? People are wandering. Wandering in the wilderness, wandering in the desert, and they cannot find a place in which to dwell. And so, verse 5, they were hungry, also thirsty. Their soul in them was fainting. And certainly, when we are wandering and we, don't, we, we can't go where we want to go, right? At least at some point, we run out of food and water, and we do become weak and weary. So there's a, a very literal idea as we begin. And so for Israel... Think of them wandering in the wilderness. We can go back in time after the Exodus, but the focal point here really is with Babylon. And some of them were taken to Babylon, some of them were scattered, and so some of them were wandering in the wilderness. Remember, east of Israel, as you go past the Jordan River and, and on eastward, it's just a big desert. Even near the Dead Sea, there is the wilderness. And as you go south in Israel, there is the Negev, which heads down to the Sinai Peninsula in the wilderness there. And so wherever the Israelites were scattered, I think we have to think primarily of Babylon. But again, it's worded generally enough here to think and apply it to any one of the things that I just mentioned, and even others. And so as Israel was scattered and they were wandering and they had no place where they could go to find food and drink and so forth. Okay? No place to find their shelter and their protection. Okay? This is the problem. And it's a pretty obvious problem. If any of us have ever wandered and gotten lost, okay, it, it can be life or death, depending on the, the scenario. And so 
as we begin with this, then, we start with this idea, but then we can apply it even more broadly. And so for some of us, okay, we can think of similar things. Not a desert, because we don't live in the southwest or something like that, but surely some of us have been lost, even if it's just for a few moments, uh, in the woods, or maybe um, on our trip to Pittsburgh and we're downtown and we can't figure out which way to go because nothing is straight, okay? um, or whatever it is, right? But then, let's think of this on a spiritual level. Ultimately, spiritually, we are wandering, lost, apart from Christ. We are in the desert, lost in our sin, and we cannot get to our heavenly home. In fact, we don't even want to. And so we certainly can make application in this way. But, you know, as you read through the psalm, there, there is, and we'll see this in verse 8, there is a connection with unbelievers. But the focus of the psalm is on those who trust in God and their wandering. And so we're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about believers, at least professing believers. And they leave the path and end up lost. So you might think of John Bunyan's work, Pilgrim's Progress, and how Christian strays from the path to the celestial city. Not before he comes to the cross, but after he's been to the cross, is burned and is lost, and now he's heading to heaven, and he gets off the path, and he, gets, uh, he wanders away. Okay. All of us, like Christian, are tempted by mirages in the wilderness. Okay, we, we see something ahead of us, and it looks good, it's enticing, and so forth, and, and so we head in that direction, and then when we get there, there's nothing. Okay. For some of us, it's entertainment, music, movies, sports. For some of us, maybe it's that new job, that mirage out there. Oh, this will be wonderful. Uh, for some of us, it's immoral actions. For some of us, maybe it's being in the in crowd or the latest fad, even in the church. The point is, we see something that is good, and we go after it. But like Christian on the way to Celestial City, we find ourselves lost in the wilderness. Okay. And so we are parched. We are weak. We can even make some application in this regard in relationships. Sometimes those relationships that we have are quite dry. We are wandering around, lost. Once again, the psalm is worded generally enough that I think we can go down these paths of broader application. And so think of any kind of wandering, any kind of desert, wilderness. Okay. Now we may be there in that place because we have chosen to do something sinful, like Christian leaving the path. Sometimes it's other people sinning against us. Sometimes we just make a wrong turn. It was an accident, right? It didn't, we weren't deliberately trying to disobey. But in whatever scenario it is, here's the problem. Now what do we do about the problem? Well, that's now verse 6. Then they cried out to Yahweh in the distress to them from their afflictions. He delivered them. 
All right, now notice, and I, I called our attention to this briefly last week, that here we have now the cry refrain in verses 6, 13, 19, and 28. And so in each one of these four subsections, we have this refrain. And as I indicate there, uh, each one of these are identical except in two ways. And the first one is, and, and the more significant one, is at the very end of the verse. Here in this verse, it's the verb delivered. But in verses 13 and, oh, I see I have that twice there, verses 13 and 19, it should say, both of them have the word saved. Okay, And then lastly, in verse 28, it's the, the verb to bring out. Now, they're all very similar in meaning, um, but just notice they, they are different here in these ways. The other difference has to do with the verb cry out. And in, in verses 6 and 28, it's the Hebrew word sa'ak. So you have a T-S on the front of it. In verses 13 and 19, it's the verb za'ak with a Z. They, they, they're very similar in sound and spelling and very similar in meaning. So the difference here seems to be poetic and not conceptual. And so he, he gave some different words but isn't really intending a major difference here. Both of them, as they indicate there in the note, can refer to a deep, anguished cry for help. And as we think about those times where we have been lost, okay, we can understand that deep cry for help. Okay. And so here is our solution. When we are wandering apart and away from God or just in the woods and we get lost or whatever it is, cry out to God for help. He hears us and he delivers his people. Even when we have caused the problem and it didn't just happen. Even when we have rejected God and we've turned away from him and we've ended up totally lost, okay, cry out to him. He hears us. And he delivers his people. Okay? So whether we're talking about a literal lostness, a spiritual one, or a figurative one, the solution is the same. Cry out to God. If you are not a Christian and you are wandering in your sin, cry out to God. He's your only help. He is the only one that can bring you to the heavenly home through Jesus Christ. And so because... Of this, there is hope. And so notice then, as it says, they cried out to Yahweh, to our covenant Lord. And then because of his covenant love, back to verse 1, okay, his goodness, he hears us. He helps us. Now, it may not be right away. It may be days later or even weeks or years later, but he does help his people. It may not be in the way we think it should be or the way it, uh, we expect it to be, but when we are in need, cry out to God for help. Cry sincerely. Your faith may be weak, but cry to him. Now, as verse 6 then begins to, to uh, tell us what God does, verse 7 makes it more specific. Then he led them in the straight way to go toward a city of a dwelling place. 
right, two things here briefly as we start this. Notice how similar the language is to verse 4. Okay, so it's the reversal of the problem. Note also that the verb, he led, and the noun, the straight way, those are actually the same uh, root form in the Hebrew. Uh, just one's verb, one's a noun, but uh, kind of hard to translate that into English to show it, but call your attention to it. Um, and so God leads us in the way to him. He delivers us, right? We're, we're wandering. We don't know which way to go. When we cry out to God, he brings us to his dwelling place. And so there is no more wandering. He directs us and along the straight way, removing any obstacles, providing food and water and shelter and so forth. Now again, some of us may have experienced this in a very literal sense. We were lost and we cried out to God for help and he brought us back. Okay. For, uh, for uh, many of us, though, we think of it in more figurative ways. Okay. God has done this for us. In these ways. So for Israel, they were actually in the, in the desert and they were returned to the city of Zion from Babylon and elsewhere. But God brings us to himself. Certainly, all of us here who are believers, right? We were lost in sin. And God brought us to Christ. Um, but maybe some of us right now are lost in rebellion. We profess our faith in Christ, but we are living a life maybe nobody knows about that is in rebellion to God. Okay. Maybe we're lost among all the li woke liberals at work or at school. Okay. <clears throat> but God, again, cry out to him. He will lead us to himself because it's our covenant Lord that does this. And because of his grace and his covenant love, he delivers us and brings us to himself. So... How should we respond? Give him thanks. Give him praise. So verse 8. Let them praise in regard to Yahweh for his covenant love and his wonders to the sons of Adam. <clears throat> the flow of thought here is just obvious, isn't it? But isn't it often the case that God does something for us and we forget to give him thanks? Okay, make sure that we do. Give thanks. Give praise to God. When he answers your cry for help. Now this word here for praise is the same one that we talked about last week in verse 1. So you remember what we said last week and I have it listed there for you in verse 1. This means to confess our faith. It means to give praise to God. It means to proclaim our thanks. And as I indicated last week, I think all the meanings are intended here. Not just one or the other. And so, okay, give God thanks. Give God praise when you find your way. Certainly we do this because he has saved us. Think of the second hymn we sang. Okay, and can it be? We give thanks to God because of his amazing grace to us to save us. And remember, the first hymn we sang, hymn number four, is based on the refrain of this psalm. And so it's based here on verse 8, though in the hymnal it says verse 15. Okay, it's the same, uh, same words. So, <clears throat> because God has saved you, give him praise. 
but in more everyday ways. When you find your path out of the woods, <laughs> when you get out of downtown Pittsburgh or Cleveland or something after being lost, you know, give him praise, give him thanks. When he brings you back to your senses after a time of wandering in the wilderness, okay, chasing after something here in this world, give him thanks. All right, now, as I indicate here, uh, this is the praise refrain. So we've got these four sections, and it's found in each one of the four sections here, verses 8, 15, 21, and 31. And in this case, they are identical. There's no slight changes like we saw with the cry refrain. Okay. <clears throat> Note the next line then. Let, let, them give, uh, let them praise in regard to Yahweh for his covenant love. So back to what we saw last time in verse 1. Because of his hesed, his grace, his commitment to us. Now the last line expands the thought. It says, and his wonders to the sons of Adam. Not the sons of Abraham, not the sons of Isaac or Jacob or Israel or whatever, sons of Adam. Hmm. Notice also then the, the word for wonder. And I've got a lengthy description for that word here, and I'll let you read through that and so forth. In the end, I think it is best for us to translate it simply as wonders. Most of your translations add another word, but I think wonders is, is just the best way of doing it. The New American Standard does it that way as well. Um, and so think of his amazing works, right? His, his miracles, the wonders that he has done. Give him praise for that. And the wonders that he has done have not just been for true believers, but his wonders have also been accomplished for the unbeliever, the non-Christian, the son or daughter of Adam, it says. And so maybe you see this applied to someone who's not a Christian and maybe they've been a drunk for years or something, and, and God brings them to some rehab center, and they get sober. Or, or maybe there's a family that's just a mess, and, and everybody's at each other's throats, and years of self-indulgence, and all of a sudden, God brings them to their senses. They're not saved in the ultimate sense, but God delivers them from that wandering. Or maybe the unbeliever who's out hiking and spelunking or you know whatever and gets lost and right god sends in the park rangers and they're found or think of tom hanks in the movie castaway or something like that god's grace is bigger than the church saving grace is limited to the church but god's grace what we often call common grace is even more broad it is general to all men and women they are not saved, but God does bless them in various ways. So this verse 8 here is saying, let's praise God for his covenant love toward us as believers. But let's also praise God because of the wondrous things that he does even for unbelievers when they're wandering and they're lost. And I'm sure that you can think of scenarios where that has been the case. You maybe have an unbelieving neighbor or family member or something and God has brought them back to a place of at least some kind of blessing. They should praise God 
we should too. Because God loves more than just the church here in this way. All right, well, let's keep going then. Verse 9, you can turn your page over here with the rest of my description there okay, of verse 8. So now in verse 9, you see how this section ends. For he satisfied a dried out soul and a hungry soul he filled with good. Clearly, we have some parallelism here, very similar uh, in both lines. Note the chiasm as things switch around, the order, and so on. In this case, this section ends with a for, a reason why we should praise God, which we've already seen in verse 7. Okay? And, and, and so it's just saying it again, you might say. Because ha- God has done this, because God has satisfied our dry and thirsty and hungry soul, and filled us with good things, we should praise him. Once again, think of this in a literal sense. Israel wandering in the wilderness, and God gave them food and shelter in Mount Zion again. Or think of the lost hiker, or Tom Hanks and Castaway, or you know whatever it is. But also, let's think of this in a spiritual sense. Our souls are satisfied and fed because God has saved us in Christ. Give him praise and thanks. And then figuratively, when our soul is satisfied because God has restored us from our everyday barrenness, give him thanks. Give him praise. So sometimes that barrenness is found in our relationships, maybe at work. Or just a dry season spiritually. But when God brings us to himself, give him thanks and praise. All right. You see how all of this expands, especially on verse 1. All right. Well, let's look now at the section, second section here. And that is verses 10 to 16. Very similar, but note the different problem. Verse 10. Those who were sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death were prisoners of affliction and iron. I notice some of the uh, added words there in parentheses to help us to understand. But we shift now from wandering in the wilderness to being stuck in prison. And it's so bad that we're about to die. The shadow of death. Now, when we think of prisons today... We think of American prisons where the prisoners can watch cable and surf the internet and have three squares a day. But in the ancient world and even in parts of the world today, that was definitely not the case. Most prisons were actually dungeons, pits in the ground. They were dark, they were filthy, the prisoners were chained up, they were usually harmed in some way, maybe beaten. Or illness or infection is set in, (coughs) excuse me, and they're not going to treat it. Maybe rats are running around nibbling on their ears and toes. Uh, Maybe you've seen images like this in movies or read about it in third world countries or communist prisons or the concentration camps of the Nazis or the Uyghurs today. The description here in verse 10 sounds like it's toward that end of things. But even if you think of prisons that are less harsh, 
Think of Paul and Silas in Philippi. It was a dungeon. They were in the stocks, but at least for one night it wasn't that bad. Now, if they were there for months, it may have been. Or even if we think of an American prison, um, I would not want to be there, (laughs) but it isn't quite so bad. But regardless, this is the setting. Now, we can be in prison for a variety of reasons. It could be because we're a political opponent and the FBI raids our house or something. Um, Or it could be we're from a different nation or race or clan. We could be a religious minority, whatever it is. But verse 11 clarifies why we're in prison. Verse 11, for they rebelled against the sayings of God. And the counsel of the Most High they spurned. You see the parallelism in those two lines. See the chiasm, how it switches, right? I've called it synthetic, but it, they're, they're very similar. Those two rhyming ideas there. But note the point. The reason why they are in prison is because they've sinned against God. Now, certainly we can make application to this. So those who go to church who are not Christians... But they go to church, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, you might say. But it can even apply to the true believer who falls into sin. And so they end up in prison. Now for Israel, of course, they're in exile. They literally were in dungeons, at least some of them, because they had spurned God's law. Now Jeremiah was in a pit because he was obeying But Israel is in a pit because of their sin. And so, certainly, uh, this is true. Maybe you know people who are professing Christians who did something really foolish, really rotten and sinful, and they ended up in prison. It was was a crime of some kind. But, again, let's expand the point. And let's apply it here more broadly, we have sinned, every one of us, and we're in prison, spiritually speaking. Okay? We have sinned against our God, we were born in sin, and we are in eternal prison, as it were. This is the condition for all of us. But as we seek to apply this figuratively, Even for us who are Christians, and we haven't committed a crime, so we're not actually in a prison, we can sin and end up in a figurative prison quite easily. Maybe it's a prison of broken relationships, or the prison of lost job, or the prison of some kind of sin that we just can't get out of, as it were. So again, let's take these words... Think of the literal meaning and then expand on it. The spiritual meaning, the figurative meaning. Well, let's bring in verse 12 then. It says, Then he humbled with toil their heart. They stumbled and there was not one to help. All right, see the flow of thought. We're in prison. It's pretty bad. It's because we've sinned. And so God is punishing us. It isn't so much because some evil person is in power. It's because God is punishing us. 
And so Israel is punished, yes, by the Babylonians, but ultimately by God. And so there's emotional hardship. There's no one to help them. They're alone. They're forgotten. Think of the prodigal son. He doesn't end up in a literal prison, but he's in a figurative prison, isn't he? Luke 15, he takes his money and he goes and lives in sin. And he ends up, as it were, chained to the pigs, eating pig food. Okay? Imagine now that, Emma, being chained to the pigs. <laughs> okay? She's usually the one mucking him out right now. <laughs> but do you see how the story is fitting? Okay? It's not a literal prison for this man, but certainly it is a prison nonetheless because of his sin. So here's our problem. Okay. Now what's the solution? Well, just like we saw back in verse 6. Here now, verse 13. Then they cried out to Yahweh in the distress to them. From their afflictions he saved them. Here's the cry refrain. Again, it's identical to verse 6 except for those two things. The final verb is saved instead of delivered. And the word for cry out is the za'ak, not the tsa'ak. But they're really saying the same things. Okay. When we wander and get lost, sometimes it's because of our sin. Sometimes it isn't. But in this scenario, it's definitely because of our sin. And so even though we are definitely to blame, and the distresses and afflictions that come upon us are definitely deserved... When we cry out to God for help, he hears us. It's not like we have to be good enough for him to hear us. It's not like we have to climb some spiritual rungs before we can even cry out to him. Hey, when we're down in the depths, when we're swimming around in the muck with the pigs, cry out to God. Okay? And he hears you. He saves us. Now, certainly, this is ultimately true when we first cry out to God for salvation. We are stuck in our eternal prison, headed to hell and so forth. But when we cry out for forgiveness, God saves us in Christ. He gathers us unto himself. It's also true when we're enslaved to temporal shackles. Maybe you are in bondage to pornography. Maybe you're enslaved to gaming or to gossip or to the political machine. Maybe you've been in bondage to alcohol or some other addiction. Maybe you're totally enmeshed in false teaching and you just can't get out of it or the propaganda machine of the media. Now remember, God is just to leave us in this bondage. We've sinned. We've called it upon ourselves. But when we cry out to him, and we cry sincerely, maybe with weak faith, but we are sincerely crying out to the Lord, he hears us. And he helps us. Okay? So then... Verse 14, 
He brought them out from darkness and the shadow of death, and their chains he broke apart. Like we saw verse 7 taking us back to verse 4, here now verse 14 is taking us back to verse 10. Same language, and you see the reversal. Pretty straightforward. When we cry out to God, instead of being in prison, he sets us free. Instead of being in the shadow of death, we're brought out. Our chains are broken apart. It's because of this verse, why I thought singing can can it be would be very fitting here today. Once again, think of this in in the initial literal sense. Israel, at least some of them, were literally in prison. But God brings them out. God brings them out of their prison. Maybe some of you know Christians who have fallen into sin and ended up in prison. God hears our cries and he brings us out. If not literally, certainly, spiritually, and figuratively. And so all of us who are Christians here know verse 14. We know what this is like because we have trusted in Christ. But think of those figurative ways as well. Maybe you've been in bondage in some kind of relationship. Maybe you've been enslaved to some kind of sinful behavior. And you cry out to God, and he sets you free from that. Now, sometimes he sets us free, and we never go back to that bondage. Sometimes we keep going back, and he needs to set us free multiple times. And we struggle with it. But nonetheless, cry out to him, and he hears us, and he helps us. So then, verse 15, let them praise in regard to Yahweh for his covenant love and his wonders to the sons of Adam. Again, identical to verse 8. Praise him. He deserves our praise, our thanksgiving, when he shows love and grace and goodness to us. Especially when we don't deserve any of it. But remember, this idea also expands to the non-Christian. The common grace that God shows to the sons of Adam. Think, for example, maybe you've heard of the uh, women's basketball player, Brittany Griner, who's in prison in Russia. Okay, She deserves to be there. But when, if, and when she is released from prison, she too should give praise to God and thank him. If she doesn't, she'll have other problems to deal with. But God is so good, God is so gracious, that he helps even unbelievers when they're stuck in prison. Not always, but many times he does. These things are truly wondrous. These things are truly amazing. It's even more amazing, though, when he shows grace to us in salvation. So verse 16 then, just like with verse 9, basically it says the same thing. For he shattered doors of bronze and bars of iron he cut down. So he takes us back to verse 10, even to verse 14. And so it's it's really nothing new here. It's the same idea. Uh, Note the parallelism. Note the chiasm. Maybe you could argue synonymous here. But 
the point is, is pretty clear. The reason why we should praise God is because of what he's done. Now, for Israel, from what we understand, Babylon actually had a hundred gates of bronze. And all of those gates were held together with iron. So this has a very literal meaning and application. God did break them, and Israel was brought out and brought back to the promised land, to Israel. Think of even Samson when he was uh, put to the gate there, and right, God strengthened him and he pulled him out, right, everything out. God set him free. So whether we are talking about a literal meaning, a spiritual meaning, or a figurative meaning, whether we are talking about a scenario where we are to blame or not, when we cry out to God, he hears us. He hears the humble. He hears the needy. He is good and gracious and compassionate. And so thank him for it. Praise him for it. Don't be so busy in life that you forget when he does help you. And so let's look to our God and give him thanks and praise. Now, let me end with this thought. It's easy for us to read through these verses and think of, can you say, the big events? But there are ways that God sets us free and brings us back from our wanderings in many ways every day. They may be small things. They may not be so life-changing and altering, so to speak. But all of us struggle with wandering every day, wandering from the Lord All of us have enslaved ourselves to some kind of sinful behavior. When you pray to God and he helps you that day for whatever bondage you're in, give him thanks. Give him praise. So here then briefly are these words. And next time we'll look at the next two scenarios. Here, So let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you for this word of encouragement. We're thankful, Lord, that though we so often get ourselves into big messes, you are there to help. May we not use this as an excuse or a, a, to lead us to apathy and indifference, But Lord, we are so thankful that you do not leave us in the messes in which we find ourselves. When we get all tangled up in the wires, when we get all off course and in the wrong direction, in the wrong place, we are so thankful that you are capable of delivering and saving us, that you care about us enough to do it. And we thank you that you have on so many occasions, certainly ultimately in Christ, but even on a daily basis in one way or another. And we thank you and we praise you for this, Lord. We thank you most of all for Christ and that he endured that eternal prison on the cross so that we do not have to face it. And that we can have not just blessings to the sons of Adam, but eternal blessings as sons and daughters of Abraham. And so we give you thanks, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.